Hello, everyone. Thanks for joining us on another episode of the All Might Be Edified, Discussions on Servant Leadership. I'm Keith Pankow, the host and producer of this podcast, and I have the wonderful privilege to be here with Ben Beckhart, who's a good friend of my uncle, and I was introduced to him in my temporary assignment in Mexico, which is fun to consider and to think about. Although I am usually live in the United States, I've been living in Mexico for around four months now, and this is actually the first domestically produced episode of the podcast as both Ben and I are in Mexico as Ben's a Mexican national. And most of my other guests have been in the US while I've been in Mexico recording. So this is fun to be in the same country and recording and to have a great dialogue, even though we come from different backgrounds and different cultures. Now, Ben is a bicultural, bilingual, entrepreneurial CEO with strategic and operator leadership competencies and experience in the consumer goods industry. He builds and transforms businesses through brand development, distribution expansion, innovation, and by working with high-performance individuals, particularly in challenging market and competitive situations. He has a diverse background of over 20 years in the profit and loss management business, motivated by a culture that emphasizes growth, competition, and spirit of leadership. He seeks to contribute to growth and transformation and make a difference in everything that he does. He has had key leadership roles in many companies that you may recognize, Sabritos, Frito-Lay, Disney, General Mills, Wrigley Jr., and The Hunter Project, and many others spanning multiple countries. He is the current Chief Engender Officer at Beckhart Engendra. He studied physics at the University of Calvin Irvine and received his Bachelor of Science in Economics and Finance from the Wharton School and also has an MBA from the Harvard Business School. Ben is the author of the book, Lead with Character, Build a Better Future. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that wonderful book. And I'm so glad to have you here today, Ben. So welcome to the podcast. Well, thank you so much, Keith. Thank you for having me here. And I'm very excited to have this conversation and really to get our audience highly motivated with the subjects that we're going to touch upon. I love that thought. I love getting people highly motivated about good topics. So what wonderful words to hear. So tell me a little bit about your book and what motivated you to write this book. Well, thank you. Look, my book's entitled Lead with Character. And what motivated me really is that I've been working on leadership for many, many, many years. And leadership really is a journey. What I found out through my career is that although I was seeking guidance in terms of becoming a better leader, and I wanted to be a better leader, you know, I I felt that at least in the corporate environment, I got a lot of leadership training, but it wasn't enough. We were learning about competencies and how these competencies could help you become, let's say, yes, more effective and perhaps more efficient and perhaps even fit, you know, in better with with a company in a corporate environment. But I felt that something was missing. And I started looking around at those people that I truly admire, you know, and I try to see, you know, what what really made them different and made them what I call leaders with character. And I started putting together these different traits, you know, that they had and they weren't part of those competencies. And And those different traits is really kind of like the secret sauce. And it's not really secret, but it was really part of those elements that made a difference. And so I started saying, you know, always a top leader, a competency, for example, would be, you know, setting an agenda or being able to formulate a vision and have people follow that, you know, follow, you know, align those people to achieve that vision. But also other competencies, including, you know, working, you know, working the team or thinking outside of the box, or perhaps, you know, they talked a lot about, Yes, being innovative and, uh, and, and, and by the way, being able to negotiate, you know, these are all competencies, but they didn't talk about having curiosity or having compassion or showing resilience. And these are very important traits. And I thought, well, why don't I start, why don't I share them 
you know, because those were things that I needed to work on. For example, I need to work on compassion. You know, I needed to work on humility as one of those lead with character traits. And I saw that those people that were really, you know, not only in the political field, but in the business field or in the academic field, the people that showed compassion, humility, resilience, but also set a vision for everyone, you know, we're making a huge difference. So let me stop there. And that's what compelled me to write the book. Let me share my experiences throughout life. I didn't want to make this an academic book, Keith. I wanted to make sure that I could share it with a lot of my anecdotes. When I'm talking about someone that, that espouses these traits in a very positive fashion, you know, it's usually somebody else. And when I was missing out on these traits, it's probably about me you know, <laughs> failing a little bit, but learning as well. Well, that's great. And I think a wonderful tie-in to servant leadership with leading with character and especially needing to continually grow and learn and become a better leader. And it's one thing to be an efficient leader, but it's a totally different thing to be a leader that's both efficient and empowers and builds and strengthens other people as well. True. And I'm glad you said that, you know, Keith, because one of the things we always forget as leaders is that you can't really build towards your enterprise or you can't build your organization or you can't really get you know that project going or whatever your endeavor is if you don't build your people first you know how do you develop and grow your people first and that's what we and when you talk about serving leadership now i talk about leader leading with character is really putting people first but truly developing growing your people making your people leaders so you can grow your organization whatever it is or your endeavor or your project at the end of the day, you know, the real world has some great character leaders or servant leaders as well, but the real world has a lot of command and control leaders, you know, that want to lead through instilling fear amongst people. And yes, it can become, it is very effective and yes, it works, but it's not sustainable. You burn people out. Hmm? Yeah. And I think we're seeing a lot about that in the U.S. with what is being typically referred to as the great resignation. And we're seeing all these people wanting to move from jobs or move organizations or just being burnt out altogether. And especially as, as we face this global pandemic and people start to really re-rack their priorities, working for a leader that is toxic or instills fear in them, it's very easy when you're faced with a change in priorities or a change in life goals to recognize I need something different. And I want someone who inspires me and invites me to be better and do better. Absolutely, Keith. And, you know, it's funny how, you know, you read certain articles on, on the Great Resignation. I've read several articles on, on reputable magazines like The Economist or, you know, even uh, newspapers like the New York Times or even the Washington Post or even a McKinsey study. You know, they're trying to find an economic reason to this or a let's call a health and wellness reasons to it i'm not saying it's wrong but frankly it's it's a void in leadership because if the leaders within these companies would give people purpose and they would make them feel that they're making a difference people would stick around i mean they're leaving for you know primarily because they're not happy with whatever they're doing or they're not happy with their boss so they're lacking engagement and you know one of the things i want to share with you one of the things I found out about writing, you know, when I was writing the book is that, you know, younger generations and people like you, as opposed to me, you know, I'm a little bit, I hate to say, I, I'm going to use the word season. <laughs> I, like, I, I like to think of myself as young, but, you know, season is in the sense when I was starting in my job, in the job market, you know, I remember, you know, we were very eager to please. And if somebody said, you got to do this, you know, you got to jump, we would say, well, how high? And nowadays people, I mean, younger people are, 
uh, better educated. They're a lot, you know, they're technologically savvy. Their education is focused on being on a lot of critical thought, which in my time, you know, it wasn't, you know, we weren't, we weren't supposed to question to begin with, no? There's a lot of critical thought. And most importantly, the younger generations want to make a difference with whatever they're doing. They want to make a difference in their community. They want to make a difference in their family. They want to make a difference. They want to make a difference at work. And if work is not allowing them or enabling them to make a difference, they're not going to engage. And who is within an organization? You know, you can call it a military organization. You can call it an academic organization. You can call it a political organization. It doesn't matter in a corporate organization. Really, it's the leader that makes the difference and connects with the followers or with the contributors or with the stakeholders, ensuring that that stakeholder or that contributor is actually making a difference. And by making a difference, aligning to whatever the vision or the, you know, and the mission and the purpose of that company or that project. Again, I say, you so, see, so I use a lot of words because we forget Sometimes you say, oh, you know, that's just a company making money. No, 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 no. Yes, we're there to make money to be sustainable. But at the end of the day, if that person doesn't feel they're making a difference, they're disengaged. And you're right. The great resignation. And I don't know why people are not saying the great resignation is about failed leadership, period. I hear exactly what you're saying, and I don't see people talking about it. And that's exactly what it is. And it's funny that we have this disconnect because I think more than ever, we're aware that people quit bad leaders. They don't quit bad jobs, True. but we aren't making this connection of a large number of people quitting their jobs probably means we have a leadership void that we should address in a different way. And we're looking for all these alternative explanations when really we should be, how do we become better leaders? How do we engage people that makes them want to be a part of this organization, want to be a part of this culture, want to be part of what we're doing here. You know, I see it. A lot of the reports are talking about how people are burnt out because of the COVID, having to be working from home, working a lot more hours, uh, not having that human touch. But if you're a leader, if you really dig, you know, you go a little bit deeper. And I, you know, I think with lead, leadership with character, you're leading with character, I talk about compassion. And compassion has to do with, you know, putting yourself in that person's shoes. And as a leader, sometimes you, you're also going through a hard time. And you're also having your own problems, but you got to think about others first and saying, you know, what are my followers? What are my constituents? How, how are they doing? And you know, what we're not doing is, yes, we're having a lot of Zoom calls or, or Teams or, or Google Meets, or whatever you want to call them, a lot of video calls and video conferences. But after that video call, you're not picking up the phone, just the phone or the video and saying, you know what, Tell me, how are you feeling? How are you doing with all of this? And one of the things that we are experiencing, and there's a lot of reports about this, is that people are working you know, longer hours and they're spending a lot of time meeting after meeting after meeting on a Zoom. That was already happening before COVID, for example. But you know, no one's really taking five minutes off or 10 minutes off to say, you know, by the way, how are you doing? How are you feeling? Do you feel your job is making a difference? Are we doing two-minute reports? You know, what's bothering you? You know, what's bothering you? Because now that you're sitting at home, by the way, perhaps what's bothering you is that your kids are sick, you know? And we're not asking people that because we think it's, we still think we're at the office and that we leave, you know, home, that there's that limit between the office and home. It's not there. So compassion is a very important part of being a leader with character, which has to do, by the way, with setting 
you know, setting, well, that's another thing about leading with character. I talk about selflessness and selflessness really means, you know, setting the interest of the others, setting them first before your own, which it has to do with servant leadership, by the way. So if we were to talk a little bit and you would probably be able to achieve or to gain a lot more engagement. Okay. If we were a little bit more curious and started asking more questions, I don't know. What, what do you think about that, Keith? Yeah, I think that's great. And I, I think a question that we don't ask that I've been thinking a lot more about is asking people, what do you need? You know, and, and, and just leaving and allowing them to tell you what they need, because it might be work related, it might be personally related, but at least allowing people to express what they need and hearing them. And we might not be able to fix all those needs, but at least opening that dialogue helps us to see them as people. And I have a great example of that, you know, being here in Mexico, you know, I had to leave my family. I left my work. I'm still managing my team and trying to stay connected to them as much as possible. And admittedly, I'm not doing as good of a job with this distance between us as I would like to do, but I'm trying to connect in with them and touch base with them. But I had a couple of good examples from some of my senior officers in the Coast Guard. And just out of the blue, they'd send me a note. I wanted to check on you, see how you're doing. How's your family? Does your family need anything at all? Is there anything that I can do to support your family? And to have a senior officer who I know is extremely busy, just send a little message like that. And I'm probably not going to take them up on their offer to send them over to check on my family, but I at least shows me they're caring about me and they're thinking about me, even though I'm very disconnected from my normal job. Well, but that's a great example. But you see, then you question, is it, my question there, is it because you're senior Coast Guard officer is a character leader or a servant leader that he called you, or is it institutionalized within the Coast Guard? I, I mean, maybe I don't want to ask that question, but, uh, but, but that would be fantastic if it's part of the culture of the Coast Guard, because then that means that it's replicable. You know, you can reapply it elsewhere. I think it's somewhat part of the culture, but not enough. I would argue not enough. And I think these two examples are leaders that lead with character. They're servant leaders. So I think it's tough to really answer the question in light of them, but I look at it in a couple of different ways. We have our mission sets in the Coast Guard are very humanitarian focused. So I think it invites a natural connection to people that care about people is one thing that I've observed over time. But institutionally, I think we stifle it in some ways that are unhelpful. And we've been talking a lot about this. And I'll give one good example because it's something that's important to me. And it probably will be solved after I leave the Coast Guard. But I love the organization. And so it's important to me that we find an answer or we start learning to adapt to the reality of the world we live in now. And one of the things is a few years ago, they changed the retirement system for the military. The old retirement system, the pension system was at the end of 20 years, you'd get 50% of your base pay. Every year after 20 years, you'd get 2.5% more out of that percentage. Well, they, they came up with a new policy, which I think is better if it's done right. It, it empowers the younger generation to, be, to have more control over their own future, more control over their own retirement. But these changes created some challenges for us that we're not addressing. And so the new system, immediately you can put into what we call a thrift savings plan, or it's somewhat like a 401k. And so they, the Coast Guard will do a certain percentage of matching into that thrift savings plan. And that stays with you in your time. And if you decide to leave it five years or 10 years, you get to take that with you as a future retirement that's continuing to accrue 
you know, money, which is good. And if you end up staying till 20 years, instead of getting the 50% retirement that we get now, you get 40%. So if you did it right, it's a much better deal because you're investing over time and you're still getting 40% pension. So in long term, it's good. But what what I think we failed as an organization so far to adapt to is the reality that the people in the, let's say the six to 12 year mark that are They've loved the organization. They've had a good time. Maybe they've hated the organization and they just want to get out when they're trying to honor their initial commitment. You know, we've invested a lot of money into training them, into building an expertise. So you look at these people like right around five, six years when they're starting to make that decision about their future with the organization, there's a lot of investment. Well, maybe we give them an extra school or we send them to grad school. So we keep them around till another, maybe that eight to 10 year mark. Well, now, if we haven't shown them that the organization matters, we've now given them an easy way to leave because they've got 10 years of accrued investment in a, a basically a 401k, so they don't have to worry as much about the pension. Whereas now, like me, I spent nine years in the Navy, and I hated the leadership of the Navy. I love my mission, but I just had some of the worst leaders I've ever experienced in my life in the Navy, and I wanted to leave. But I love the Navy, but I just wanted to leave. And but I didn't want to lose that time. And so I looked for other ways to work for the government that I could keep that time. And so I switched over. So I'm a perfect example of someone, if I had nine years of an investment plan that I could take with me, I would have said later, US government, I'm going to do something else and invest in myself. But I was like, well, I want the pension. So I stuck around. And I think there's a big majority that fall into that category that we're not catering to, or that we're not mindful of how do we, how do we help them buy into the organization more because most of them love the missions of the organization. There's just these bureaucratic processes they might not buy into, or you know, they, they might fear the assignment process because we move quite often and the assignment process isn't usually transparent. So it's very hard to figure out where we're going. And I think there's little ways as an organization, we could care more about that person to make their decision to stay easier. And then we don't lose that investment and in all that skill. You got me thinking right now in... It's a very interesting point because on the one hand, you have institutionalized policy, so to speak, that, that help retain people within an organization. But that's, you know, and I, I, was, I was very careful to say help retain people, but, you know, does it, does it keep them motivated and inspired? No. And then you mentioned, I think, you know, the organizations like the Navy or in this case, the Coast Guard or some companies have some fantastic visions and missions. And I mean, I think the missions of, and the purpose of both the Coast Guard and the Navy are, are very noble ones to begin with. No? You know, those are institutional columns that do help, Keith. Helps their elements, so to speak. But, you know, humans, we're, we're quite complex. We need different things that, that kind of tie us together, weave into our lives. And I think the other one is, is really the leaders that we have, the bosses that we have. Now I'm going to be a little bit more broad, you know, I'll just include other organizations. I think that one of the things that I found in my career and, and I saw in the, the organizations that foster different, let's call it assignments, uh, were able to keep people longer. And, and not only that they, they kept them longer, but that it helped develop two things. One, new basis of not only skills and knowledge and leadership traits, I want to call them, and yes, leadership competencies by by having different assignments where you require, say, different parts of your persona, you know, to come forth and to show that you're able to bring them forth because leadership really is about learning new things all the time and about learning stuff that you're not very comfortable with too, you know, to tell you the truth, both technical and non-technical. 
But these companies had, the, you know, the, the, these environments had different assignments help because you feel like you're learning something, but also you've got to create a network where that person doesn't feel they're going to fail or if they fail that it's okay to fail. All right. Because we're learning. You don't want to be failing because of negligence. You want to fail because you, you tried, no. And, and, and then the, uh, but I, it's interesting how you mentioned how assignments, some assignments cannot be transparent. So you already talked about how it's important to create the transparency in the process. No? And, and also the, the other thing that you mentioned, it's interesting because I think people also value when you're willing to not break the policies, but, but to be flexible enough uh, that you're willing to make exceptions for, for different people, because then that also creates, you know, a, a special sense of, hey, what I call, you know, the social contract. And, and I think a lot of environments, a lot of work environments have really forgotten about how you build that social, so, social psychological contract with each and every one of your stakeholders, whether you're followers, you're, you want to call them followers, you want to call them employees, you want to, and there's a social contract, even with your suppliers, you know, or even with your constituency, you know, and the stakeholders, what we talk is, you know, who's your most important stakeholder when you talk about, say, military services? Well, I think the most, it's your nation, you know, it's your citizens, I, I like to think, you know, because you're upholding the constitution. So when we think about a company, people, we say, you know, stakeholders are yes, shareholders, but it's also the consumers. It's also your employees. It's, but this is where leadership has to be courageous enough. And again, in leadership with character, one of the traits to talk about is courage. And, and we talk about, you know, we talk about innovation and, you know, the thinking outside of the box. I don't really like it because it has to do with creativity, but you really have to promote creativity, which is also another trait of leading with character. If you allow creativity to break, you know, to sometimes what I call, you know, kill the sacred cows, you may have some policies that make a lot of sense, made a lot of sense 50 years ago. Are they making sense today? You know, and if people see that you're willing to, you know, with creativity, come up with new policies and do away, you know, with the sacred cows of the past, whether they're policies, those cows, or whether people, <laughs> you know, that's another important thing. But you need that courageous leadership, which has to do with leading with character. As long as it makes sense to the final vision that you're trying to achieve, you know what I mean? Or that mission that you're trying to comply with. So I think you would build in a lot of engagement. You know, a leader with character seeks to build engagement, you know, and, and you brought a word there, engagement, you can, you build engagement by caring, by caring about people. That doesn't mean you forget about your mission. That doesn't mean you don't forget, you know, you forget about what, what, what you stand for, you know, and the, the great things you're trying to reach. You know, it's funny because there's a lot of institutions that believe in, you know, to become institutional an institution, you got to have policies, but there's a point at which policies can be suffocating leadership. And this is where leaders have to break those policies. What are your thoughts on that? I really love this concept, both of courage and curiosity and the combination of the two together. And I'll start first with courage. And I think sometimes you're absolutely right. There's a, a level of courage that's needed for a good leader. And whether that's breaking policy, challenging policy, or pushing people, or even fighting for people when 
when others might not. There's all these different ways courage can manifest. And I think sometimes in today's world, we've created an environment with cancel culture and all these different things that it's created fear. And too often fear is ruling over this courage. It's so vitally needed for good leadership. And we kind of talked as we were preparing to hit record about the need for dialogue Dialogue is the true way we embrace the gift of diversity and we get the benefits of it through understanding the way different people think. And if we allow fear to overrule over courage, we create an environment where people aren't willing to speak up, not just the leaders, the, the staff. And when that happens, we're not getting the best of our team members. And so we have to find a way to break through these barriers of fear and show courageous leadership that invites other people to speak their mind while also being respectful and courteous and being true to the organizational culture. Yeah. You know, it's interesting because when there's stability and when there's certainty, you know, you're less likely to find courageous leadership. You know, I think we're going to find more courageous leadership right now during these crises that we're living. Let me give you a quick example. I mean, one of the companies that are one of the most admirable companies that I've worked for, but I had, frankly, a little, I have a little admiration for it is General Mills. General Mills is, um, you know, is a Fortune 100, is one of the top 10 food companies in the world. But, you know, they, they don't like to rock the boat. You know, they like certainty. They like, uh, and, 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 as, and as a result today, they're, they're, not, they're not a high performance, you know, high performing company. And why? Because what they seek is, is conform, you know, conforming. And I remember I remember having a conversation with the CEO back then. And I said, you know what? Do you realize that over 35% of your revenues are, you know, are sold into Walmart? And I said, what are you going to do to reduce that dependency and ensure that, you know, this business is sustainable for the next 50 years? Because, you know, in a matter of time, it's going to be 50% of your revenues are going to be sold into Walmart and Sam's and different organizations the like. He said, well, we got to work with Walmart. And he didn't like it at all. And, you know, what I was doing is I was challenging the status quo. So I was, I was seen immediately as somebody that was not a, not a team player. I'm like, oh, no, wait a minute. I'm, I'm, it's not that I don't want to be a team player. It's that I'm actually asking you to, to challenge the status quo. So today, General Mills is a company that is not performing very well, even though food companies are performing extraordinarily well in this crisis. So they're performing well along with other food companies, but are they showing, you know, breakthrough innovation? The answer is no. Are they having great leaders, you know, that are, that are being say uh, exported to other companies, so to speak, you know, that's a, that's a different no. And, And now they could beg to differ and I'm willing to debate with them, but you know, a lot of it has to do with the fact that you either conform, you know, or you're better off going somewhere else. And, uh, so of course, you know, I went somewhere else, but today in crisis, if you think about it, it's a great opportunity because when you ask, well, you know, what can you do? Well, it depends on the leader. So clearly, clearly, and by the way, it's interesting. One of the, one of the best CEOs that PepsiCo has had left General Mills many years ago, and then he became the CEO of PepsiCo and took, you know, PepsiCo to some of the best, you know, uh, performance measured by Wall Street in years. So what I'm getting to is, is our cultures that do suffocate that and they don't want to break. But, and, and if you don't have a leader that is you know, at the top that's willing to change things, it's not gonna happen. Sadly, it's gonna come, it has to start from the top. 
you know, it won't, you know, it, this whole grassroots movements with organizations, it's very difficult to tell you the truth. You got to have a revolutionary admiral or a revolutionary CEO or a revolutionary politician to really change things or a revolutionary dean, you know, to, to, to make things change. Or you're going to have the crisis that we're living today that forges leadership that says, you know, we really need somebody different to steer this organization and move it forward in a different direction to be able to manage these crises that we're having today, like the one we're having. So now it's funny because, you know, this is the first time in many, many years, Keith, that the world is, the, the playground is the same for the world in terms of, of the COVID crisis. But I remember living in the H1N1 crisis in Mexico and having to have conversations with, with, with uh, corporate, back then corporate was in England and or even with the U.S., and they would look at me like, "What the hell are you talking about?" You know, you know, or or foreign exchange crisis, and they're looking at me like, "What are you talking about?" They never understood it because they weren't living it. They couldn't they couldn't empathize with it. So now, finally, we have a very even playing field where this is a fantastic ground for leaders to emerge, or for leaders to be forged, or for or for leaders to truly demonstrate if they're the leaders that can move the companies forward instead of complaining about supply chain issues. Give me a break. Three years ago before COVID, I said, you know, if I'm in the US and I'm depending, you know, my supply chain is depending on China. Mm, it's the same example I gave you about sales depending to, you know, Walmart. And so, I mean, what's new? What's new is that suddenly it's even playing field. And, and why didn't somebody do something about it in terms of redu reducing supply chain dependence on China four, five, six years ago. No? And the answer is simple because it costs more money because it takes a lot more energy because you gotta be a courageous leader to say, you know what? We gotta look at things differently because one day perhaps China may decide not to supply us. No? So this may be a controversial podcast. I hope it is. <laughs> In a good sense, and it gets people thinking about what may be the next thing we got to be thinking about. No, but go ahead, Keith. I, I agree. I agree completely, and that ties perfectly into curiosity, right? So, if we we're talking about things that require us to engage the inner dialogue of ourselves to be able to answer back, that's inviting us to open up curiosity within ourselves. And too often, we avoid topics that may or be quote unquote controversial. And that's really stifling curiosity within ourselves because we're not embracing that inner dialogue about how would I even answer these questions? How would I do so that's in a way that's respectful, but still true to myself? And that principle of curiosity is so vital. And Dr. Kavanaugh, when I met with her, the great, great leader at the Lastinger Center at the University of Florida, she talked about how the this thought that the creating an environment where ideas can flourish is crucial. And if we're focused on conformity or we're focused on the status quo, we're not inviting ideas to flourish. We're inviting people to see things the way the manual says to see things. And we're not opening that inner dialogue so that people can also become the best versions of themselves, but then it can also put forth their best effort to the team or to the organization. I love the way you connected curiosity and courage together because it really does take courage in today's world with so many competing interests and so many different dialogues and so many 
different issues on social justice and inequality and equity and all these terms that we throw around. It takes a courageous leader to open a space that allows people to talk there. And you have to be an engaging leader because there will be times you'll have to shut people down for crossing a line or crossing a boundary. And that's where the the courage really steps in. But if you do it in the right way, it will broaden the ability to create curiosity. Oh, absolutely. And I think people, you know, that's the other thing. Followers in general are, you know, sometimes we underestimate them in the sense that we think they don't, they can't evaluate. I don't want to use the word judge necessarily, but they can't evaluate the situation or gather. And, and they, they, will, they will be able to detect the leader who has to be firm and courageous when, when, when a colleague is dishonest or is, you know, dishonest, for example, is embezzling and it's hurting everybody else's interest, you know, and they will understand that courageous, firm leader that needs to fire that person that is hurting the well-being of everyone, you know, the well-being of the, of, of the worth of the company or the organization or the values of a military organization too. You know, if you're an officer that, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to go to an extreme point, but I'm sure that you've ran into this situation. You know, if there's an officer that has molested a child or sexually, you know, assaulted, you know, uh, a child or, or a woman, you know, if it's a man and a woman, then, you know, it's, it's, it's conduct unbecoming, you know, and, and a challenge, you know, a leader that's courageous is going to take the steps to not only discipline, but oust that person from the organization, to tell you the truth, you know, now I went to an extreme that I know that you and I know happens in any kind of environment, by the way. But, but also the courage to, you know, a, le- a courageous leader is one that, that creates an environment that is safe for people to ask questions and to be courageous to, to sustain criticism sometimes from others, you know? And the example has to do with General Mills. I, you know, at General Mills, Mexico, I said, you know, we got to make sure that we expand our distribution, that we are selling, you know, we can, let's grow with Walmart, you know, and let's grow with Walmart every year. But I want Walmart to stay, you know, to be a low percentage of our sales. That means we got to find other people to sell to. And it takes a lot more work. And when people in corporate would ask me, well, why aren't you selling more at Walmart? Hey, I'm selling very well at Walmart and we have a good share. But, you know, I had to be courageous and said, you know, it's important to develop others. And we have ideas from my people about how we can expand distribution elsewhere, you know, not only geographically, but in other channels, or, you know, we were already thinking about how selling directly to people and so on and so forth, you know? So it also takes courage, and I'll tell you where, sometimes when people challenge you as a leader with, with their curiosity, rather than stomping it down, it takes courage to say, you know what, let me listen to what this person has to say. And let me, like you said earlier, Establish the dialogue. So why are you asking, tell me more. Why are you asking that question? Show me what are you thinking that I'm missing or what led you to that question that really I had not thought about. And then the dialogue begins. (laughs) And and you can come up with something like you said, your follower is a lot happier and thinks, hey, this person's paying attention to me. This person cares about what I'm thinking. Well, this person person think is giving value to my question and my curiosity, and it's not stamping it down. You know? When you were talking about some of these things, I in the military strategist in me always thinks about how bad it is to have what we refer to as choke points 
or single point of failures. You know, a choke point is somewhere that it drives you into a certain area where you can be easily ambushed because there's no way to easily get out of there and you're stuck. Or, you know, these single point of failures, if there's only one person that you have to rely on to do a job, if they get sick or they die or they're incapacitated, everything can fall apart with a single point of failure. One of my personal leadership philosophies that I've taken throughout my whole career is when I join a team, I always try to put myself out of work. I don't try to give away my work. I try to train everyone around me to be able to do what I do and to understand what I do and to be able to take my job and to put me out of work down the road. Now, I, I work hard and I try to do as much as I can, but I want everyone around me to feel like they could rise to become that position that I've inherited by gift of just an assignment change. And by doing that, it's amazing how people flourish. And even, even the people that are content, you know, sitting in their lane and doing their own job still like their lane and they like their job better because they get a better vision. And when someone's out for sickness or a birth of a child, you know, we talk about needing to create these atmospheres where people, where moms can feel comfortable and dads can feel comfortable taking parental leave. If we don't create these support systems in our work environment, then people can't feel comfortable. And so it gives people an opportunity to recognize that my personal life doesn't have to be completely separate and take a back seat to all my professional endeavors. No, not at all. I mean, on the contrary, your personal life makes a huge difference in your professional endeavors. I mean, and I hate to say it, if you're doing well in your personal life, you can do well in your professional life. And I'm thinking in Spanish, but we call it uh, vasos conductores, you know, they're, they're conducting vessels, you know, they're, it goes from one to the next. And if the pressure is high in one vessel, it's going to pass on to the next one and vice versa or low pressure to high pressure. And I mean, it's just normal physics, you know, I, I'd like to call it, or it's, it's called entropy as well, you know, and you got to put energy to put some order into that as well. So quite fascinating, but you were saying also, you know, it's interesting because it has to do also with being selfless, you know, it's, it's, we're talking earlier about how you build, you know, I always thought, how do you grow? Growth is a very important criteria for me because when I was building these companies and, and I knew that if I can grow the companies, I could, I could pay people better, but most importantly, I could, I could give them promotions and I can give them promotions in the sense of higher responsibility, you know, more scope and more depth, their jobs. And therefore they were going to be growing as people. They were going to be growing as leaders. They were going to be growing as executives. They were going to be growing as collaborators. And so growth was really important. And the only way I could grow the company is by growing them, which comes goes back to, I remember, you know, I, I went into the job market 30 years ago where we all try to become indispensable. And I used to tell my people, you have to become dispensable. They gotta, you got to become someone that they can move or throw away, you know, in the good sense, because that means that you've developed a team and a group of people, exactly what you were saying at the beginning. And that has to do, again, with leading with character, which is, has to do with selflessness. Selflessness is you build your people so you can build the company so they can grow and they can build others. You know? And at the end of the day, selflessness has to do with collaboration. Off, we're offline, we're talking about the video that you saw and this video about social being, you know, uh, what did I call it? Social civility. You know, it, social civility is important because, because we, we learn to collaborate. And the one thing that makes us humans different 
to other species is that we collaborate and we collaborate to achieve fantastic things. We collaborate to build a aircraft carrier. You know, we, well, we you know, collaborate to, to, to build these amazing buildings. We collaborate, you know, we collaborated worldwide to come up with vaccines. Maybe they're not perfect yet, but, you know, to come up with vaccines that today are at least, you know, putting a break on, this, on, on, the, on the coronavirus. You know, we collaborate to reach peace. We collaborate, you know, to have economic growth. But if we don't collaborate, which means that we don't trust each other, okay, which means that we have no social stability, what do we do? We destroy. And that's why leadership is so, but humans have this great ability to come together to find solutions to our biggest problems. That's leadership. That's servant leadership. And that's leading with character. And when we forget that, when we forget that we need to develop and grow our people, we're no longer collaborating. We're no longer being leaders with character. And, you know, and sadly, you know, we see a company going in a spiral. You know, General Electric going in a spiral downwards. You know, a lot of these big companies that General Electric, by the way, this great company that had survived for years and years and years, and now it's just falling apart. Um, why? Because of poor leadership. And we see nations. I mean, you and I have seen smaller countries or countries that don't emerge because there's no collaboration, because there's poor leadership. But let me, what do you think about that? No, I love it. I love it. We've been talking for quite some time. And before we start to wrap up, I want to leave everyone with a challenge because I love this conversation and I love this idea of courage and curiosity. So my challenge for you listening to this podcast is to think about how you can be both more courageous and invite greater curiosity with those around you. Because I think as you look at the ways you can be more courageous and you look at the ways you can invite curiosity you're going to see an amplification of both courage and curiosity in all those around you. Well, Ben, I've really enjoyed it. And this has been a wonderful conversation. Any final thoughts to wrap up with? Well, thank you. Well, one of my final thoughts is really, and my, it's just a question that I want for your audience is what kind of leader do you want to be when you grow up? And it will leave a lot of thought there. And, and why? Because we never grow up. If you're curious, you never grow up. You keep growing. No, <laughs> but at the end of the day, each and every one of you out in the audience will be in a position of leadership. And if not, you're already there and you're creating an influence and, you know, you, you influence people either positively or negatively through your thoughts, through your gestures, through your words and through your actions. And that's the question then is what kind of actions, thought gestures are you going to espouse so that, that, you know, that you leave a positive or a negative example. Leaders with character leave a positive example that transcends. Thank you. Thanks so much, Ben. And as you were talking earlier, I'm glad you tied it all up with that point because when you mentioned not wanting to admit your age and that you're getting older, I thought about how curiosity really does keep us younger. And then you close with that. So I thought it was perfect. So thanks again for joining us. Thanks all you listening for joining us. This has been another episode of That All Might Be Edified, discussions on servant leadership. Please like, share, review, 
and subscribe to the podcast so that others may find it and have a wonderful day.